as I mentioned before, this is uh, a bit of a departure from what we originally planned to do, but I trust that, that God knew what he was doing. And, uh, and so I'm going to share with you just something that's been on my heart over the last couple weeks, um, something that I think has the, the potential, if we listen to it and what scripture says about it, to really move us into uh, a place of, of hope, a place of healing, a place of, of, of refreshment in sort of where we're at spiritually. A couple weeks ago, we were uh, as a staff away uh, in Vancouver at a, a conference on spiritual formation, and we were talking about um, what, what does it look like to be formed fully in the likeness of Jesus, and how do we pursue that? How do we experience him more? And there was this time of prayer, and during that time of prayer, um, someone got up to read the scripture that we're going to read this morning, and it's Psalm 51. And so if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we're going to have it on the screen. But in Psalm 51, there's just this, this beautiful picture of, of what God can do and what God calls us to and, and what we should want to pursue with our own lives. And I believe that in, in many ways it's actually uh, vital for us as we try to pursue being more spiritually formed. If we really do believe that we want to be more like Jesus, if we really do believe that we want to be uh, more and more like him in, in the sense that not just we, we have this idea of what he wants, but we actually live in such a way that we actually experience sort of his heart and we see the world through his eyes, then we have to come to this place of repentance and that's what this uh, psalm is all about. So I'm going to read it first, and then we'll kind of go into some of the background about it, and then hopefully come to this place where we can experience more from it. This is what David writes. He says, have mercy, and I'm going to read from the NRSV. So if you're following in the NIV, this is a little different, but I want to read it from here because of the way uh, the translators chose to pick some of these words. But he writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified in your sentence and you're blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty. A sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in my inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let these bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me, in me a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. Open, O oh Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. 
For you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Now, sometimes we get lost in that last little bit, and we're like, what does this mean? This is a little bit weird, but just hang in there with me. As we go to this, uh, what's helpful for us to first do is to see where David was coming from. Psalm 51 is a song of repentance, a prayer to ask forgiveness from God. And if you've got your Bible, you'll see that, that right below the number, like the chapter in your Bible, there's a footnote that says, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So this is a, a song that expresses what David's heart was for that came out of a pretty dark place. We're not going to read it, but if you wanted to, you could go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and read the story that took place to lead David to this point. But basically, the essence of the story, if, we, if you've been around church, you know it. If you haven't, that's okay. What happened was that David, who was the king of Israel, was one day up on the rooftop, and he looked out and saw a beautiful woman, and he decided to call her into his home, and he slept with her. She became pregnant, and to complicate matters more, it wasn't that she was just a, a single woman or a woman who was untied, but she was also married. And so David then did even something worse, uh, in that he just keeps adding to it, and he decides to have her husband killed. So David does the wrong of looking lustfully at a woman, then he acts on that lust and, and essentially takes full advantage in every awful possible way, and then he kills the husband of that woman who he has brought shame on. And after this, what happens is there's this prophet of God who comes to him, a friend of David, who arrives to call out what he has done wrong. He gives him the case, and of course, David, when he hears it, is just shocked because at first, he doesn't put two and two together. At first, he just hears what happens, and he's just stunned and brought back to a place where he becomes undone. And that's what leads us into this place where David has been confronted by such ugliness, the ugliness of himself and his life, that he begins to come fully broken before God. In the first couple of verses, we see what his response initially is. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Now, sin is this word that we throw around a lot in church and in the Christian language, but in this passage, what we see is David actually says three things. He actually gives sin three different words as he addresses it. And that was really interesting to me as I saw that. He doesn't just say, hey, God, I've sinned, forgive me. But he actually kind of keeps putting layers on. 
He recognizes that what he did wasn't just one wrong, but it had a whole bunch of layers to it. And so he uses these words, transgression and iniquity and sin. And what's interesting, if we, if we actually look at the words, is each one has a different meaning, and each one tells us more and more about the weight of what sin really is beyond this word that we just use in church that says, oh, well, we've sinned, we've done wrong. The first word that he uses is, is of course, this one this, of sin, just the basic word where David asks God, please cleanse me of this. He says, this, I've got sin, which means I've made an offense against you, God. God, I've offended you in some way. But then he moves on and he says, actually, uh, I, I, I've committed an iniquity. He says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Iniquity doesn't just mean something that you've done wrong. It actually means an evil or perverseness to the character. He says, I have done so much wrong that I'm actually evil and perverse to my very core. Not only have I just, you know, gone outside the line and I rolled through a stop sign, I've actually allowed this foul thing to creep into me. And he says, because of that, I need you to wash me. I need you to wash me clean. Well, it's interesting if you actually do a, a word study of that word wash me. It's this Hebrew word that means something more than just a delicate setting on your washing machine. It's actually this word that was to pound something clean. We got to remember that we have to go way back in time to think of how this might have gone on. David wasn't just saying, hey, I've got this shirt that's dirty. I'm going to put it on to wash and then come back and put it in the dryer and everything would be better. But there would have been something that would have gone on. In his day, fabric would be heavy duty, meant to last. It would hold filth and whatnot. They wouldn't have had those fancy machines. They would have had to take the clothes and they would have had to take them down to the river or to a wash basin. And they would have literally had to trample the clothes, beat them against the rocks in order to remove the filth that was on top. So when David says, God, I want you to wash me clean of this evil perversity, what he's saying is, God, I want you to take me and beat me against the rocks. I am so in need of something to take away this heavy uncleanliness that I'll just take whatever it takes. You can violently throw me against the rocks. Just get these stains out, please, oh God. I mean, that is some movement, I think. I mean, I don't know what the time frame in all of this is. We don't know exactly how long it took him to come to that thought, but he's come to a place where he recognizes what's going on in himself to actually get to that level of saying whatever it takes, God. Have you ever prayed that way? I mean, that's a challenge for me. I mean, when I think about my sin, and when I'm like, hey, God, I, I want you to remove this from my life, I don't think to myself, hey, God, take me out publicly 
and beat me against the rocks where everyone can see the filth wash away down the stream. I mean, there is a lot going on here, right? There is this call to something deeper. He goes on and then he says, not just that, he says, but I want you to completely blot out my transgressions. When he says transgression, what he's talking about is this act of rebellion. To transgress is to intentionally go against. So it's not that I just stepped outside the line and did something that was wrong. It's not just that he uh, had something that was wrong going on in his heart and life. But he says, I've actually knowingly gone against you. I've actually knowingly rebelled against you, and I want you to blot that out. How often do we think about that? How often do we justify what we do wrong? I know for me, way too often. Ah, it wasn't that bad. Oh, I've done that. I'll, I'll try to move it again. Or, oh, God, I want you to get rid of this, but, Lord, it'd be really nice if it nothing had to publicly go on or whatever, right? Like, we, we just don't take it this seriously to this level that he goes to. But he continues on in verse 3. He says, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me, and it's against you and you alone that I've sinned. And I've done what is evil in your sight so that you are actually justified in your sentence. You're blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner, when my mother conceived me. David has this idea to not just to uh, acknowledge, but to fully humble himself. And it's kind of interested that as I was thinking about this passage, and I was like, what does that look like for a king? I mean, I, I'm not a king. I don't hold myself to a certain statue. I mean, David could uh, do whatever he wanted, really, like, in the eyes of the law, what David did was fine. He was the king. It was his right to do with his peasants as he wanted in sort of the law case. He could call up Bathsheba to his room. He could send her husband off to war to die. He could do whatever he wanted. But he comes to this place even as someone who has ultimate authority in his community. And he brings himself to a place of humility. He recognizes that who he is is less important than who God is. He recognizes that even though what he can justify what goes on rightly in terms of the law, it does not justify what is right in terms of God's law. You know, I think this is one of the big things that stands in the way of us in our spiritual formation. And the idea is that we all have pride. We all have pride. And I think, really, that's one of the things that separates us from experiencing joy and freedom in our life. Because even when we know what we have that's going wrong, we often end up sort of pulling back. And like I said, we sort of downplay things, perhaps, or we just try to keep moving on so we save faith. But face, but the reality is that none of that will pull us through. None of that is truly what we need to go on to carry us forward. In a second, we're going to read that David comes to this place where he actually says, I need a full newness within me. I need you to actually change me from the inside out. If we live with this level of pride for what's going on, we'll never get to a place where we can actually experience that. For David, 
something major needed to take place. He needed to come to a place of repentance. And here we see this word repentance, and, you know, we, 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 we have this picture of what it might mean. I mean, what do you think of when you think of the word repentance or repent? For me, I think of the, the, the stereotypical picture of somebody standing on the corner, which is like, repent, you're going to hell if not. I picture somebody who's kind of coming around and maybe it's that old school sort of preacher who yells at you and tells you everything that's wrong. And it comes across in this very sort of negative connotation all the time when I think I think about it. But that's not actually what's going on when David talks about repentance. When David talks about repentance, he's actually inviting God to bring about a loving message. He's actually inviting something good to come on. And we actually see, where I think we best see that is in the person of Jesus himself. In Matthew chapter 4, right as Jesus is about to go out into the community, we see that his call to people is this. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. When Jesus said that, he, he didn't say, watch out, you're going to burn in hell, so run back to me. He said, heaven has come near, and I want you to turn around so you can experience it. I want you to embrace the goodness of God, and so stop going the way you're going and experience everything I would have for you. David understood that, even though he spoke of it long before Jesus came. I think David understood the goodness of God as he tried to lead his people after what God had called them to. He had seen God's faithfulness. If you've ever read about King David's life, right, we just, we know from a young boy, God just continued to have these wonderful miracles in store for him. He took him from being this little shepherd boy to being a, a champion for his people, to being set above the king who was ruling, to end up being able to dodge somebody who's trying to kill him with all the resources in the world and was able to survive. And then he's come into this place and now he's leading his kingdom to thrive. I think David understood, man, there's something good to God. There's something good that he wants for me. But what I'm doing it's taking me in the wrong direction. It's taking me away from the blessing of God. It's taking me to this place where I'm maybe getting something that gratifies me in a moment, but is leading to my destruction. And so I've got to turn around and I've got to look to God. I've got to embrace all that he would have for me. And so he says, God, I repent. And really what repentance is, it's a heartfelt sorrow for where we have gone wrong. It's a change in our thinking, first and foremost. It's this, it's this recognition that the, the train that we have got on is going in the wrong direction. And it's this moment where we say we've got to get off. I mean, it, it would be like if you were driving down McClure and you knew uh, that you had to get to, I don't know, Trithui. And suddenly you found out you're on Gladwin. 
well, I can keep going on. I can just bomb down the hill and head over to Highway 11 and circle around and try to get wherever I'm going. Or I could pull over. I can take a lap at APA and I can turn back the other way and I can head down to Trithui. There's this invitation that comes in this word, repentance, that we can say, I need to move in the right way. In verse 6, David said, you desire truth in my inward being, so teach me the wisdom in my secret heart. He says, God, I, I know that you want this for me. I know you want me to experience your truth, and I'm not living in it. I'm not seeing it. I'm not experiencing it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to get off the train. I'm going to head the other way. And then, God, in that, fill me with your wisdom. Help me to know where I'm going. Help me to get to that place where I need to be. I think this is a, a really helpful expression as well to think about because as I was considering what it means to have a secret room, um, I think it, it tells us something that moves this from our head to our heart. We all have a secret room in our house. Or maybe it's a junk drawer. But in my house, it's a secret room. Right? You know, I, I, I have my front room, the room where we seat people. You know, like if someone's going to come over, it's the room that has the nice bay window and it's got the nicest furniture in the house and it's the cleanest room where we, we, we try to not let the kids destroy it right before company's coming over and, and we bring people up into that room and, and you know, that, that's where, would, where you'd be. If you came over to my house after this, that's, that's where I'd usher you. I'd, I'd quickly tell Amy, quick clean up before they come here, right? And, and then she would know we're going to clean the front room. But there's that other room in my house. We all have it, right? The other room that has the junk drawer and the closet that's throwing up all over itself and that, that, that pile of, of clothes that are maybe unclean or paperwork that's been sitting there for far too long or maybe it's the kitchen and it's where all the dishes are, are built up because you didn't feel like cleaning them last night and so when someone comes over, you just kind of usher them past that door blocking it as you walk on or you close it. If I were to start to wander around your house, what would it be? What would your experience be like if I ran to your home after church and peeked into your kitchen or your ensuite bathroom or your laundry room? You might start to feel your cheeks getting a little red. We all would. And that's the same thing that's true, and I think that's sort of where David's going with this, is he recognizes not only am I going in the wrong way, I'm actually piling things up in that secret room. And I would hate for someone to see. I would hate for someone to look in and know what's going on. But David recognizes something. That God's already in the room. God's not confused by you ushering him into the nice front room with the perfect sunlight to sit in the chair that gets the right cross breeze and has the TV angle with no glare and where you can't see the fingerprints where you've been touching it. There, there, there's none of that. Jesus has already come in and he's already gone through and he's already moved into that secret room and he's seen all the filth 
and everything that's gone wrong. There's this invitation here. If we're to listen to what the experience of David was, to say, I'm going to clear that out. But I recognize that I can't clear it out on my own. I've allowed the, the dishes to pile too high. I've allowed the filth to become so thick that I just can't do it on my own. So Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you to, to take what's going on and I need you to clear it, to make room. I need you to make this a place that is not just presentable, but a place that's worth living in, a place where I can thrive. For all of us, that looks different. For David, it was his lust, and it was his pride, and it was his willing to, to, to exert uh, some level of force to get what he wanted. But for, for you, maybe it's some hatred you have for somebody. Maybe you wouldn't even put it that way, but it's just that long-standing anger that you hold within your heart against another. Maybe it is... Uh, this illusion that you keep of having healthy relationships, but emotionally you're just tormented and you just use somebody else for emotional gratification. Maybe it is lust and that you fill yourself up with the things that your eyes are drawn towards and all sorts of things. Maybe it's pride and, and, and you take uh, some sense of satisfaction that you're better than someone else. Maybe it's one of the many other things that you allow to pile on, to fill up the room of your life. How does it feel to live your life that way? I know for me it feels a little bit like I'm dying inside. Because as hard as I try to hide what's in that room, it just keeps spilling out just keeps coming and flowing into every other part of the house of my life. I think this is why David is known as a man after God's own heart. David certainly wasn't perfect. I mean, David screwed up time and time again. It's not just here. We read other stories, and, and that's true for all of us. But, but what David did even when he messed up, even when he sinned, even when he blatantly rebelled against God, even when he allowed that, that perverseness, that evilness of his life to come on out, is he didn't allow the old way of living to keep going on. But he said, God, I want your wisdom. God, I want your change. God, I want to get off this ride. I want to allow you to begin to fill me. I want you to be the one who takes us on. And that's where we get to this beautiful verse that, that many of us might know that comes in verse 10. He says, so God, just create in me a clean heart. Put a new and right spirit within me. Get rid of my old filthy heart. Get, clean out that room. Fill me with the, a spirit that instead of running away from you or coming against you to attack you, one that's evil and, and, and gross, take that out of me. And put in a good one. Put in one that represents you. Put in one that, that looks a little bit more like you so I can be not just fresh, but so I can come towards you. And we see that's where he goes. We see that there's this, this recognition that if, if we allow God to do something in our hearts, that he allows something else 
to take place in our relationship with him. Right after that, in, in verse 11, he says, so don't cast me away from your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, I think that's pretty profound. David lived before Jesus breathed his Holy Spirit on his disciples' life. Now, I believe certainly that the Holy Spirit came on the life of certain people throughout the Old Testament, but there, there wasn't this clear, delineated teaching where, where, where God was like, okay, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit now, and he's going to reside within you always, but he knew. For some reason, he knew, and he must have experienced it to this point, because he just had this sense, Lord, I don't want your Holy Spirit to depart from me. I want your presence with me. I want to feel you in me and help me to move on. God, give me that. Now, we're so fortunate we live on this side of history. We live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of the Holy Spirit being given to us. We live on this side of the fact that we could hear, though uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death, we live on the side where it says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We live on the side where Jesus says, even though I'm going to depart from this earth, I am going to give you my Holy Spirit. So I will be with you until the very end of the age. When I return again. Without even, I think, knowing it fully, David gave us the gospel. He gave us the good news of God. He told us that we have an opportunity to be cleansed, to be clean, to be redeemed, to step into all of what God would have for us. Not out of a sense of of running away from the destruction that we're headed towards, which is true. That's the reality. That's where we go if we, we don't turn our lives towards God. But instead of understanding it that way, he invites us into the wonderful work of God. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Pursuit of God, put it this way. He said, the whole work of God in redemption is to undo the tragic effects of our foul revolt to bring us back into right and eternal relationship with himself. God wants to undo everything that we've already undone. He wants to mend our relationship back with him, and he says, I just want you to experience what can go on. I want you to, to tangibly know me. I want you to feel me in your day-to-day -day life. I want you to, to know my wisdom. And not just your mind, but in your heart. I want you to experience my presence in, in every part of your life. But we notice that that always comes after this repentance. After this place of, of, of coming back to God to turn our life around, to acknowledge it mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every level of our being to come back to him. So how do we do it? How do we repent? Well, actually, the best example I have is what not to do, in addition to what David does. I mean, have you ever heard that apology or given that apology to someone which is like, I'm sorry that I got angry at you, but you did this? Or, 
I'm really sorry, but the reason I did that was actually because I needed to. I had to make sure that happened. I had to see that go on. I, I thought that would be a better way. That, that, that's, that's not really what God is asking for. And we see that's certainly not what David gives us as an example. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we, we, we also move not just from this place. We might even get to this place where we don't excuse our behavior, but we get to this place where we just try to move on. Our prayer might sound something like, uh, dear God, uh, I'm sorry I gossiped about Jane, but thank you for forgiving me. I'm going to move on. Whoo! Thank you, Jesus. You died for my sin. So that one's off the list. Ah, I can move on. We laugh at that. We can think that's silly, but don't we do it? I do sometimes. But to come to that place where that's what we think repentance is robs us so much of the richness of God. I think it takes us so short-sighted to such a place where, where, yeah, God's forgiven us. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's already bled. He's already died. He's already risen again. And, and, and so, yes, in one sense, our salvation is secured. Our, our sin won't keep us from going to God. That's not what's going to happen. You're absolutely right. If you put your faith and trust in him, genuinely, you're going to experience that benefit. Yes, but you're going to miss out on the goodness of God in its fullness until that day comes. Because I think what happens is when we're not fully repentant, we can't actually see the full restoration of our relationship with God. I really believe that our, our salvation, our being saved by God, is, is yes, on one hand, a, a one-and-done thing when we come to faith in Jesus, when God enables that to take place in our life, but it's also this process that happens continually along the way where we'll screw up, where we'll drop the ball, where we'll intentionally rebel against God, where we'll allow that, that fleshly, evil-hearted piece of us to come out, and then we continually then have an opportunity to go back to God. We don't have to say, like, David, hide your face from me because Jesus has already come. But I think we have to come to this place where we recognize that there's an opportunity for a greater depth of relationship with God. And so that should compel us into being with him. David said, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give you a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. That's what I think those sort of pathetic prayers are sort of going on. Here's something that, yeah, it, it, it has some level of meaning and value, but really it doesn't do the whole thing. He says, God, what I recognize is that the sacrifice acceptable to you is a broken spirit. I think that same thing is true for us today. And I think that if we really want to experience the goodness of God, that that's what we have to step into. And there's a promise even found in Scripture uh, in, in Acts chapter 3. We see it says this. It says, repent and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped away or wiped out. And sometimes I think we put the period there, but there's actually a comma. 
it says, so that times of refreshing may come. I think a lot of the times when we go through our Christian life, we end up in these places where we're like, man, I just want more of God. And this feels so dry. Uh, I just don't feel like it's exciting anymore. I don't feel the proximity of God to, in my life. I don't, I don't see the fruit that, that's coming to life out of, of what God is doing. And, and, and we feel so frustrated in the Christian life. But I think that while that's our experience, oftentimes it's because we haven't had that contrite heart. That heart that David has. Where we've really come to God and we've said, you know what, we recognize that there's this gap. We recognize that God is close by, but our backs are turned to him. Or our shoulders are turned to him and we can only sort of see him out of the corner of our eye. I think there's an invitation continuously if we want to experience the fullness of God to come time and time again with a repentant heart. The more I think about it, the more I think about the times where I've experienced refreshment from God, where I've seen the fruit of the Holy Spirit come to populate my life, the times where I've seen that there's actually a difference in, in the, the way I interact with other people, in, in seeing the fruit of other people coming to know God, it always comes in season of repentance, in places where I come and draw closer to God, acknowledging the unclean rooms in my life, allowing him to do the work and, 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 and bring cleaning within me. And then that's where I find the goodness of God. And that's just so good. It's so freeing. It frees me from, from thinking that I have to produce it within myself. It's so beautiful because it makes me, me know more who God is. It helps me see him a little bit better. Because every time I draw close, I recognize just how vast God love, God's love is. It goes far beyond what, I, what I've ever pictured. It goes far, far beyond just saving me once and, and have been, have, having been done on the cross, but that he continually meets with me. I mean, I, if that was me, someone was always sinning against me the way I sin against God, I don't know how I would do that relationship. Like, I just, I just, don't, I just don't have it within my character. God does. It's incredible. It's incredibly beautiful that God would love us that way. Whatever offering that you have to bring to God will fall short unless you bring to him a repentant heart. Whatever experience that you find yourself lacking in will remain until you return to God with the fullness of your heart and allow him to bring the fullness of his into our lives. For the next minute, what I'd love us to do is just to sit. I just invite you to, to just wrestle with God. Bring him your unclean heart. Allow him in, even though he's already there, allow him, invite him into those unclean rooms of your life. And invite him to do what only he can do.
to bring his love, to bring his forgiveness, to bring his grace, to bring his mercy, to bring his hope so that you can experience the joy of a clean heart and a good and pure spirit within you. So let's take time, just wherever you are, just, just reflect on that, just pray, and in a moment I'll, I'll pray for us as well. God, we do not deserve you. We don't even deserve a, a moment of your attention because of our unclean hearts, because of how we have set our lives up as enemies of you. Even, even if we've, we've decided to follow you, God, we just go back to that time and time again. And God, I just, I just thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your patience. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that you were willing to go to the cross, that you were willing to die, to take upon the full weight and pain of our sin, that you were willing to be separated from your Father in heaven so that we, through faith, could draw close, so that we could have a relationship with you. Oh, Lord, it's... sucks to, to admit that it's, it's our brokenness that separates us from you, that robs us of a life worth living, of a life full of hope, full of the, the permeation of your Holy Spirit. But Lord God, I thank you so much that you're so gracious to us that you wouldn't leave it there, that you would draw close to us that you would invite us even through your word, giving us these words of David that have been saved for, for centuries. Lord God, we thank you that you would carry that so we can see you in it, so that we could see the invitation that you have for us to, to have a clean heart, to have a new spirit, to draw close to you, to know you, to experience your healing, to, to be able to throw off the weight and the pain and the frustration that is heavy in our heart, to, to be clean in a way that we cannot clean our own lives. God, we thank you that you bring all that to pass. Holy Spirit, we thank you that even though you've saved us, you draw close to us and bring us in. We thank you that everything good, everything that's going on is because of you. Lord God, as we turn to you in worship, as we sing to you in these next couple of songs, Lord God, I just pray that we would draw close in, in such a way that, that we haven't maybe in a while. And I just feel like in the room, there's, there's those who just feel so dry and so heavy. I just pray that they would be able to release their sin, their secret rooms to you in such a way that you can free them to see the goodness of who you are. 
And so I pray that as we sing, we would draw close to you, that we would believe these things in such a way that it would just change our, our hearts and minds this week, that it would draw us into a better way of being as we, as we go about our lives. And Lord God, we know we're going to have to come back time and time again. God, I know, I know by, the, by, by this afternoon, by lunch, I'm going to have to come back to you again. But Lord God, I thank you that you're there when we want to draw close. So be with us and be glorified through us. And thank you for loving us in it all. Pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.